0: Today's reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, commencing at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you. As I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Hear the word of the Lord. Well,
1: good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. I spent many years with young Randall and Katie and a growing family at Deep Creek, so it's great to be here. I can only imagine randall leading this group down the most difficult paths randall away hiking and as we come to our passage today i want you first of all to grab the idea that the apostle paul himself was okay who's been to greece or turkey western part of turkey any travelers here well you can you can go and watch a little travelogue on youtube and you'll see in these areas that the land can be pretty difficult. And imagine Paul all the way back, maybe somewhere around about 50 AD, 55 AD, travelling through these places. There are no tour buses. There's no connecting flights to get from one spot to another. No nice little cabins that Randall will have enjoyed last night up at uh, Mount Gambia. He, chal- he travelled over some of the most difficult terrain often on foot. And so he now comes and he's writing to the churches in Galatia. Where's Galatia? Well, think of that region that runs from the top of the Mediterranean Sea up to the Black Sea and the eastern side of Turkey. So he's writing to them and clearly, as he wraps the letter up, walking is on his mind. But he's not talking about just trying out his latest pair of Nikes. What is on his mind is walking in or by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. It's such a vivid word image for Paul. I think he uses this expression, walking in or walking by the Spirit, basically to sum up the Christian life. What's the Christian life? Paul would say if he was here. Hey, some Barnabas, young Rod. It is walking in or by the Spirit, And as you walk in the Spirit, that's the way that you're going to fulfill the love command, which is spelled out in verses 13 to 14. If you've got your Bibles with you, please open them up or on your Bible app. And you'll see there in verse 16 that it could be literally translated this way. In the Spirit walk or in the Spirit live. Now for those who loves Greek, English grammar, it's a command, it's in the imperative. So he's wrapping up a letter to these churches spread all around this region and he's going, I'm giving you an imperative. In the spirit, walk. In the spirit, live. And so for us, that ought to be foremost in our minds, this is what the supernatural life is, this is what the Christian life is, it's walking in or by the spirit when you think of walking in the spirit when you think of the series that you're in the middle of i think with one week to go just by way of reminder grab these fantastic truths these fantastic truths that the holy spirit comes and indwells the individual believer it really is the most amazing truth we might hear it many times but just reflect on it this morning the god of heaven and earth comes and indwells each person trusting in the lord jesus the god of heaven and earth comes the holy spirit and he indwells the body of christ three chapters earlier 1 corinthians 13. and our bodies are actually described as the temple of the holy spirit the church is described as the temple of the spirit indeed the very definition of a christian in scripture is someone who actually has the holy spirit look at that verse up at the bottom of the slide romans 8. this is a great one to remember if someone ever says what do you actually mean when you say you're a christian or you're a believer here's how paul defines it you however are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of god together lives in you and if anyone doesn't have the spirit of christ then they do not belong to christ it's telling us that the presence of the holy spirit in our lives is absolutely fundamental and when we think of the ministry of the holy spirit a really key point you see this in john 14 15 and 16 is that if it's genuine ministry of the holy spirit it will always point to the lord jesus It will always glorify the Lord Jesus. If someone's saying, oh, but this is of the Spirit and it's got nothing to do with the Lord Jesus, be very discerning. Katie mentioned at the beginning of the service, love. And I want you to see that all the way through Scripture, there's this cord of love. There's a river of love. And it's exactly the same when you come to chapter 5 of Galatians. There's a cord of love that runs all the way through it. It begins in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. love." Let's try that. I mean, I know you don't know, me. just humour me this morning. Love. Faith expressing itself through love. Well... Okay, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, you, you will have heard this first, but, but pause, think about it. Like, how could it be that the whole of the law could be summed up, could be fulfilled, could be completed in a command to love your neighbor as yourself? How could it be if you're asking the question, here's the answer. Because when we love the Lord above everything else, we will love our neighbour as ourselves. Being an Anglican church, let me remind you of a great saint of the past, Church of England. People think of the a Methodist. He loved the Church of England. John Wesley, one of my faves of church history, Here's what he says. If your love of God is in any wise decayed, so also your love of your neighbour, you are then hurt in the very life and spirit of your religion. If you lose love, you lose how much? All. If you lose love, you lose everything. And I came across another great little quote this week the pastor said if the greatest commandment in scripture is rooted in love the greatest sin or the very essence of sin must be failure to love so you've got verse 6 you've got verse 14 and then you come to verse 22 the first of the nine characteristics of the fruit fruit singular there are nine characteristics what's the first one it's love we'll just say love but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law i want us to grab onto this i want us never to lose sight of this paul's focus on love Why would he have such a great focus on love? Because the God who he absolutely adores, the God who he worships, is love. 1 John 4, verse 8. 1 John 4, verse 16. God is defined, his essence is defined as love. God is love. Remember that scene during uh, Jesus with the last meal with the disciples and he gives them this final command after washing their feet, he embodies how they are to live out that command to love one another. And he says this, John 13. He says, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way I'd wrap that up is the DNA of the Christian life. The DNA of the supernatural life, which is the Christian life, is love. But today, the world we live in, the world in the West, uh, sadly suggests that most Christians are not known by love today. Why do I say that? because when people outside the church are asked about Christians, love is often not what characterises the church in the minds of people observing. I hear these compelling words from a great little book. It's called Having the Mind of Christ. Let's read the first part. All of the words are up on the screen. The love of God revealed in Jesus is the most significant, fundamental power in the universe. Love is central to the way, of the, New, the way the New Testament envisage what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus shows us what God's love looks like. And then he empowers us by the Spirit to love one another as he loved us we must learn to believe that if we don't have love we don't have anything they're strong words aren't they but they're biblically true words the essence of god is love and what that means is that all of his other manifestations all of his other uh, attributes are ordered towards love think about the illustration with a child being Disciplined by a parent. If you go back, and I'm sure the people at St Barnas were so well-behaved, so I can only speak in my life. You're disciplined, and as you're disciplined, you may have that very unrighteous thought, oh, my mum hates me, or my dad hates me, because in that discipline, you're feeling some pain. But as you grow older, you reflect and you realise what your parents were actually providing was loving, Justice. And when you think about the manifestations, how God reveals Himself, keep first and foremost in your mind that everything that the Lord does comes from a heart of love. His justice is coming from a heart of love. It's all in the service of love. I want us, as we think about this beautiful part. Of Galatians 5 to grab this truth the Christian life the supernatural life which is what we're all living if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus is relational it's not transactional what do I mean by relational well think of the beautiful word picture in John 15 of the vine and the branches and the fruit think of the reality that when we are joined to the Lord Jesus in union with him, we're actually participating in the very life of the Trinity. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? But it is the truth of Scripture. And the other truth of Scripture is that ultimately, in the consummation, everyone trusting in the Lord Jesus will be glorified in his presence. All of that sums up, this is a relational situation that we have as believers. Living a genuine supernatural life is relational. It's being in intimate communion with the God who is love. It's not transactional. What do I mean by transactional? The Christian life is not some cheap party trick. It's not some magic words like an incantation that you speak out. Most particularly, it's not a get out of jail card free. It's not like, okay, give me the words because who knows, I might get hit by a bus. It's not a political slogan. What is it? It is the blood, it is the sweat, it is the tears of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his very life for a broken world so that they could be in warm, loving relationship with him. And I say this as a gross generalization. It would have absolutely no applicability to the saints at St. Barnabas. But often the emphasis in evangelical circles, churches, and this is especially true in North America, is on transactional Christianity. But I think that's a bit bizarre to actually put those two words together, Christianity and transaction. What do I mean by transaction? I mean seeing Jesus simply as that get out of jail card. It means thinking that if we just say some words like a mantra, but completely dismiss what Jesus says, which is follow me, that everything will be fine. But the call of the gospel is simply, follow me. But when I say simply, it's radical, isn't it? It was radical in my life. It is a 180 degree change in what the idols of your life are, what you worship, the direction in which you're going. And I think the tragedy is that transactional Christianity often leads to lives that actually do not reflect the Lord Jesus. Because the, the person has got to a point where they think, if I just say these words, I'm going to be okay without a heartfelt submission to the living God. And friends, that's not the supernatural life. Because salvation is Jesus. Let me give you an illustration that really caught my attention this week. It was a video clip of a quote-unquote Christian TV show. We don't have them in Australia, uh, but the US just has dozens and dozens of them. Well, this was a a pretty well-known and extremely popular quote-unquote Christian TV show. And there was a man and a woman who were the hosts, and they were interviewing a guy who is a big name in what would be called the apostolic charismatic movement in the US. See the picture? So the the two hosts go, I won't blame the guy, turn to the guy and they go, you wouldn't believe it. Like it's bizarre. There are all these people who say Donald Trump is not a Christian. And the charismatic leader, he literally just about falls off his chair. He is in like... Extraordinary laughter. He said, that's just ridiculous. Like I know three pastors and they have prayed the sinner's prayer with him. And the woman, the co-host, not a Christian being a woman, but what's the woman? She goes, well, like if he said it three times, surely one of them is stuck. Friends, please hear me. This in no way is a political statement we get into major problems when we think that one side of politics is more righteous than the other the world is fallen and we all need the lord jesus christ but let me tell you what the tragedy is the tragedy is the world looks at that and the internet makes sure if you like if you think of the internet as a living body that the whole world sees the witness oh okay so we say these words But every time we get up, we speak hatred, division, vile things against other people. But then we say, this is the Lord Jesus. And I'm just simply standing here and saying, that is not the gospel. That is not the Christian life. That is not the supernatural life. And it actually defames the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I continue to meet people who today now, because of this happening, they go, I want nothing to do with the church. I heard of a story the other day of a family They were in a restaurant. Uh, The family bowed their head and prayed and gave thanks for the food. Who knows what was going through the minds of an adjacent table. They sat there and just absolutely and totally ridiculed them. I'm not in any way justifying that. But I'm imploring myself in my spirit and us. The supernatural Christian life is a life of love. Yes, we fall... While we come together, we go through confession. But Jesus says, this is how you will know that that you're my disciples, the way you live others. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, you'll see as he unpacks this passage, he then speaks about freedom in the Spirit, and it's in verses 13 to 18. I want to make just a couple of brief comments. He says to them, you're actually called to be free. Now, from a Christ perspective, being free doesn't mean that there are no boundaries. It doesn't mean that you're unrestricted. What it means is that we actually live our lives within God's design for our lives. It's not that limits confine us. What do the limits do? What are those boundaries? The boundaries guide us. The boundaries are there so that our lives are actually enriched, so that we don't, in Paul's words, indulge the flesh we're called to be free for what purpose we're called to be free so that we love and serve one another the boundaries of course stop us from straying into harm destroying our own witness destroying the witness of the church and they ought to, if we're thinking of the Lord actually lead us into deeper intimacy with him so think of freedom within God's good and beautiful boundaries that he set up so that individually and as a church community, we flourish. Well, after he speaks about uh, freedom in verses 13 to 18, he then gets into that pretty challenging part from the reading on what I've called destructive pathways. It's in verses into 21. He says, You're called Galatian Christian, St. Barnabas born. You're called to be free. But don't let your brokenness take you down pathways which are destructive. Then he gives this laundry list. It's a representative list. I often think of this list as simply the characteristics of the kingdom of darkness. And I'm not going to go through each point, but I'm going to sum them up. If you look at all of those points together they speak of anti-life. They speak of anti-love. They actually speak of anti-fulfillment, even though they're marketed that they'll actually bring fulfillment. They are anti-genuine satisfaction, even though they're actually marketed that these are the very pathways to live your life in order to get satisfaction. But when we deal with them, when we leave them at the cross, when we turn from them. Then we're living that life of freedom. But dealing with them is not like having two sides of an accounting ledger that says the Christian life you do X and here's all the sins that you don't do. In our brokenness you'd probably be tempted to go to that one. The way to deal with the stuff which is anti-life, anti-love is love. The more you love the Lord Jesus, you will naturally do what? Go down his path. When we're starting to slide into destructive pathways, which to be honest it happens in all of our lives, the root cause 99 times out of 100 will be somehow we've dropped in our love and adoration of the Lord. And the way to get back on track is to sit back and reflect. Good heavens, this is unbelievable. The God of heaven and earth, the one who spoke and brought it all into existence, the one who loves me so much, who has come and died for me, has resurrected to bring me new life, has sent the Spirit, the very Spirit of God lives within me. Lord, forgive me. Help me to love you and let your love flow through my life. And that brings us to... Something I want to briefly share with us as I check the clock. This is a little technical. Bear with me because I think it's actually amazingly practical. And it shows up in this passage, and I've called it walking in the spirit is synergistic. It's kind of a big word, isn't it? What I mean by that is that walking in the spirit, the Christian life, is not passive Submission. So, what do I mean by it? I mean, the living God imparts divine energy to enable us to walk in the Spirit. Does that make sense? But we're not robots. The Lord actually calls us then to freely respond to that divine energy that He desires to impart in our lives and so there's a synergy between the lord imparting his divine energy and us responding is this making sense and the two of those come together and coalesce A verse that i think that you'll be well aware of that really shows this up is philippians 2. let's say it together therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose why have i bolded or put in yellow those word works and to act because what we can't see sadly in the english is behind it the original word is speaking of this energy it is god who comes and works. It's like a download of energy, and then we're called to respond to that. But actually, the person who can explain that a lot better than me is a guy called St. John Chrysostom. You love him, saint of the past, fourth century. This is someone who just didn't uh, spend hours and hours at Ridley College trying to understand a little bit of Greek. This was someone who was a fluent Greek speaker and understood the subtleties of the verb tenses. This sounds technical, but it's very practical because the verb tenses then speak to what's actually happening in our lives. So I want you to imagine that we've been transported back in time, the Philippian letter has been given to us, it's been read to us, and we're going, all right. Well, Paul, if you could just rock up We've got a lovely morning tea later. Uh, We've got some questions to ask you, young Paul, about what you said in what we know as verses 12 to 13. Got the scene? Imagine this dialogue between the Philippian Christians and Paul and the Philippian Christians the some Barnabas believers say to the Apostle Paul, well, what do you mean? So does God do everything? And we're just kind of like passive recipients of what he does. And John Christosman envisions that Paul answers back and says, no, no, didn't you read what I said? That it's God who's working in you to realise and make effective the good. And you have to respond to the good that he presents to you. I think that's just a beautiful way of understanding what God is a is a really fundamental verse but sometimes we can miss the depth of it see that's why paul says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's up to you it's up to me it's up to all of us to respond to the good that god puts before us so what does that mean for us when we come to our passage well because we see this same emphasis on divine energy in Chapter 5, look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Together, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through it. Guess what that word expressing is? It's that same word which is describing, if you like, divine energy. Paul's saying the only thing that counts is faith which is energised by love. So, faith gains life, think of it that way, by love. Or think of it this way, faith without love is not faith. It's dead faith. It doesn't work. It's not activated. Do you see the concept? It's the love coming together with the faith that makes it real faith. So, put that together then with verse Twenty-two. In verse 22, we've got the Holy Spirit who is bringing love into our life and verse 6, it says our faith is energised by us responding by our love. Do you see how the synergy works? Here's a good summary of it. Synergy is precisely the state in which the human and the divine activities coalesce. This is such a big point for Paul. Do you know 24 times square brackets in his letters? This is what he emphasises. But we miss it a little bit, sadly, because instead of the word energy, we'll have words like works, accomplish, effectiveness, and go, oh, okay. But it's all actually coming from this same root concept. So, synergy is this state of the human and divine coalescing. The divine doesn't supplant the human, it doesn't circumvent it, but it acts through the human to render it, to render us in our lives whole and complete. Divine activity and human activity coalesce and they become the same things. Do you reckon that's mind boggling? I do. Think about that picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, very famous section. Here's my little paraphrase. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's the Lord who gives the increase. We are God's co-workers, emphasize, I'll come back to it, we are God's co-workers in God's field and in his building. Co-workers. in the original, is the word that we then get synergy from. And the root word behind that word synergy in the original is, can anyone guess, it's energy. We are God's co-workers as the world is being transformed more and more. I know we can't see it not all that obvious but it is happening more and more into the glory of the Lord but when you think of co-workers we're not talking about two identical equal people who are making a building, we're talking about the living God, the one who speaks and brings everything into into existence but in his unbelievable love he says St Barnabas "Kirsty." Right. Everyone trusting in the Lord Jesus. I want you to work with me and I will work through you and there is a coalescing so that our human acts become his acts. Our human acts become his divine acts. Do you think this is practical? Do you think if you think every day about the breath that I'm breathing, the way I'm seeking to live my life, is this coalescing of the Holy Spirit and myself, not being used as a robot, us freely responding. I was hearing from our nine o'clockers as we had coffee this morning how someone had been here, I think, for the English courses and they are explaining to someone who was not, someone who was naming the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour and was explaining some of these beautiful stainless steel windows. See, that's not just a random event. That's the Holy Spirit working inside our sister and it's that divine acting and then the human acting who goes, yeah, okay, let me tell you about the, I'm going to make a connection with this guy. I'm going to tell him about the stained glass windows at St. Barnes. But it has spiritual power and it's a coming together, a coalescing of the divine and human. Well, I better just watch the time, but I wanted to leave that with you, that the supernatural life, the Christian life, Is synergistic all right let me try and wrap this up I want to just very briefly identify three areas that I think from my own observation my own life can trip us up in walking in walking with walking by the spirit we can get tripped up because of poor teaching false teaching We can get tripped up because of poor practices. Sometimes we can get tripped up simply because of the environment that we grew up in. And all of it can conspire to trip us us from living in the fullness of the Spirit. So I want to identify very briefly three points. And the first one is what I would call the impact of the Enlightenment. Some people refer to it as the age of reason have to worry too much about it but it's super significant in Western society it was a period probably 1650s through to the early 1800s the key thing about the environment of enlightenment was that it rejected the possibility of the miraculous it was marked by philosophers and political theorists and they basically they separated the world Think of that sitcom Upstairs, Downstairs, okay? Well, they separate it into there is the divine or supernatural and there is the natural. And it's like never the twain will meet. So instead of a creator who is present, instead of a creator who is present and active in his world, there was just nature. God was relegated upstairs to the supernatural realm. We were downstairs downstairs. And this philosophy has dominated Western thought. And not surprisingly, it has crept in like sneaky little rodent into the Western church. We're speaking generalizations. But of course, the Western church would never claim to be deists. But it's actually crept in. I want you to think about it. We freely, warmly admit the supernatural, the spiritual, don't we, when it comes to forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord that our sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord that there'll be a final resurrection. But we run the risk, if we let the spirit of the Enlightenment, that we go, well, outside of sort of the final resurrection and forgiveness of sins, we're the ones in control and Lord, kind of leave me to work it out. But the central tenets of the Christian faith are all miraculous. God's power comes and there's creation. The miracle of God taking on human flesh in the incarnation. The resurrection. The more you think about it, the more mind-boggling it is. And then the ultimate consummation. One writer has rightly said, Christianity is rife with supernaturalism. You can't take the miraculous out of Christianity and still have anything that can be properly called Christian. It's very seductive. And I simply call it the spirit of the Enlightenment. Be aware of it. It's a trip hazard. There's another trip hazard. It was certainly one in my own life. And I call this trip hazard simply by the term cessationism. What's cessationism? Cessationism simply says that the gifts of the Spirit, in particular the nine manifestations, remember nine fruit of the Spirit, nine aspects of the fruit, nine manifestations, nine ways that the Spirit manifests, in 1 Corinthians 12, cessationism, which is pretty pretty common, says all of that was back in either the time of the apostles or the time of the canon. No one seems to be able to quite define it, but it was kind of back then. Now the Lord's having a long nana nap on a Sunday afternoon that was the environment that I grew up in but it's basically God's up there I'm here and all this stuff that we read about in the New Testament it's a nice interesting story we can get some principles out of it but it actually doesn't have much relevance for our world but friends miracles are not God coming and overriding the laws of the universe Miracles are simply the signs that God's here and that he's at work within the world. It's a big topic. I simply want to say graciously, lovingly, there is no biblical support that for this little period of time, God was active. But for all of this period of time, he's stopped working in such a manner. Beware of the impact of the Enlightenment. Beware of the seduction of cessationism let me tell you thirdly, why sometimes we can be seduced in that way. And the reason is because sometimes those who can speak a lot about the gifts of the Spirit may not actually be showing that path of love. And that can trip us up, can't it? We go, well, that was nonsense. I mean, look at all these words that were supposedly spoken in prophecy. I mean, none of them came off. So I think this argument that the gifts were around for just this period but not then, that seems to have some validity. So we can take currency, if you like, from poor practices, is this making sense? And let that be the guide in our life, rather letting the authority of the Word of God and then being discerning about, is this of the Spirit or is this of of some other Spirit? That's when I used that illustration earlier, please hear me, it's not a political statement. But my heart grieves over what's happening in the Western church, especially North America, country I've lived in, I love the place. But the internet means that all of the stuff that's said gets spread everywhere. And when we make statements in the name of the Lord Jesus that are not true, do not come about, and do not reflect the fruit of the Spirit, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemed. And then it's extremely easy to go, oh, really? We're doing a long series on miracles and the supernatural life? Look at all this crazy stuff that's over there. Do you agree it's a trip hazard? It's a trip hazard when we let the bad practices be the filter. I implore you in love. Let the word of God be the filter, and then Paul, very aware that this can happen, writes to the Thessalonians and he says this think it's us Saint Barnabas. Don't quench the spirit. Rod, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Test them all. Hold to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Words spoken, 1 Thessalonians 5, it could be as if the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Western Church today. Don't let those bad practices pull you off the path, but test them. And as I wrap up, let me leave you with just a few words on embracing then the supernatural life. Simply, we're called to live lives of that reflect the power of the risen Lord Jesus why do I say it because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power which if you like latently is within each believer do we see it all the time no we don't I agree this is a choppy transition time the kingdom has come but it hasn't come in its fullness and it gets confusing doesn't it It gets confusing, and I can't give all of the answers. But I can point you to Lord Jesus. So think of two ends of the spectrum. We seem to run to one or both ends. One end might be so do we just go out and seek miracles? Thank you, Randall, for this series. That's got me excited. We're going to get into a miracle routine. We want to see the immediate presence of God in power now. We want it to just saturate some Barnabas. Well, I'd say, don't go and seek the miracles per se. Don't be Christian thrill-seekers. I don't think you can do that. Seek the Lord Jesus. That's what our call is. And as you seek him, as the Spirit comes in fullness, oh, you may, I can't say you will, But you may see something that we would put in the category of miraculous. But we don't chase that. We chase the Lord Jesus. That's one end of the spectrum. What's the other end of the spectrum? The other end of the spectrum is that we try and define and constrain God into our safe little box, which we then just sort of open up when it suits us. We need to repent of, we need to renounce. If in any sense we have that upstairs, downstairs view, oh yes, the Lord's in heaven. Praise the Lord that he's forgiven us. Enjoy your nap. And we're kind of in charge and running our lives. Don't keep him in a box. Don't go and chase the miracles, but chase who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what walking in the spirit is. And when we are walking in the Spirit, it won't always be consistent, I know. I know i my own life. But there ought to be some reflection of the fruit of the Spirit. There ought to be some love, some joy, some gentleness, some kindness that flows out from us and the world goes, I don't know about all the stuff they're saying, but there's something different about them. Let me encourage you to stand with me. Lord as we stand in your holy presence we thank you for your amazing love there's no way that we can even begin to understand it but we deeply appreciate it this is love not that we love God that he loved us and he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world Lord, I pray in my life, I pray in the lives of my brothers and sisters that we would be like the deer who pants for water, that our soul would long after you, that you, Lord, alone would be our greatest heart's desire and that our whole life, from sort of the smallest trivial things, all of it would be in worship to you. Lord, I pray that in each of our lives, as we sing these words, that there would be truth in our own life. Lord God, that we want you more than gold or silver, that we recognise that you can only satisfy all of our deepest desires, that you alone are the real joy giver. You alone are our strength, you are our shield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship thee. Let me encourage you as we sing this for it to be a prayer, a prayer that comes from the depths of our hearts, both individually and as a church.